There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and Grant's microbiter. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm an NYPD retired sergeant with 27 years of service. So everybody uh, breathed a sigh of relief yesterday as Frank R. James was arrested, known as the subway shooter. Uh, A lot of people are asking why, you know, what was his motive that he got on an N train with... uh, smoke bombs, uh, a 9mm Glock, three high-capacity magazines, and just started shooting people. What was his motivation? A lot of people want to know motive, you know, and one of the things we found out is that he put up numerous hateful videos up on YouTube. You would think that this would have raised a red flag with someone. I mean, YouTube is very diligent, usually. Uh, and they, in fact, they're known to censor lots of videos that don't fit their narrative. But this guy's posting um, hateful videos, and it raised no fl- red flags. I mean, how did law enforcement not be apprised of this situation? I'm going to play a little bit of this, um, some of the information they had on some of the videos he did, in fact, post on social media. And we're going to listen to this for a second. disturbing content on YouTube and social media. Recent rants included criticism of Mayor Adams and efforts to reduce homelessness and crime. CBS 2's Tony Aiello continues our coverage. And they keep mentioning the potential of World War III. Well, no, we're already in World War III. Brooklyn subway attack suspect Frank James had a lot to say about the state of the world, and he shared it almost daily on YouTube. Hundreds of rants filled with foul-mouthed disdain for black people white people, Hispanics and Asians, celebrities and politicians, including Mayor Eric Adams and his policies on subway crime. We do something about the homeless, he can do that, which is good. But those who are going to commit crimes, like the shooting, shot in the chest out in Brooklyn, the old lady got hit in the head with a hammer, you can't, you can't stop that. That means you have to have a policeman on police every station, and that's, that's not possible. It was a chilling foreshadowing of the subway attack three weeks later. We know that James was born in 1959 and raised in the Bronx. His last known address here dates to 2003, this building on Ritter Place. Not far away, one of his distant cousins told me most family members had little contact with James. Something must have happened, maybe. I don't know. You're having a tough time believing this. Yes, yes, it's unbelievable. James's sister also lives in the Bronx. She declined to speak with CBS2, but told the New York Times James was a loner who moved often. Until a few weeks ago, he lived in this Milwaukee, Wisconsin multifamily building. Neighbors describe him as sullen and unfriendly. When I say hi, it's like a grunt. Um, I don't see him. I hear him sometimes yelling on the phone, arguing about things. On his YouTube channel, James talked about attending a job training program in Long Island City and experiencing mental health issues. He described New York as the source of all my troubles. The videos leave the impression of a profoundly disturbed person. Tonight, YouTube has disabled James's channel. In Longwood, the Bronx, Tony Aiello, CBS 2 News. And in recent weeks, James had been staying in a Philadelphia rental. The FBI did search that location and also a nearby storage unit. They say they found evidence indicating James had access to a high-powered rifle, which has not been recovered. And stay with CBS2 and CBS News New York for continuing coverage on. So, folks, there you have it. There was, uh, there was some heads up. We always find that out post-tragedy or post-shooting that this person... Uh, had issues and he was hiding basically in plain sight with those videos in in plain sight online indicating hatred for uh, numerous groups. Now, one of the things that I don't think the the media has really uh, covered very well is that 
It was said in the ATF head yesterday in the press conference said that he bought the, the nine millimeter Glock in uh, 2011 legally in o Ohio. However, that gun is possessed illegally once he crosses state lines with it and he brings it to New York. He, uh, you know, he may have purchased it legally, but he has no gun permit to carry a gun in New York City. So no one said anything about that. The gun was possessed illegally, not legally. So I just want to let the media know they seem to ignore certain things um, in regards to this investigation. The investigation, uh, I think they, they've done an outstanding job. And, you know, sometimes when you get um, get luck in an investigation, you make your own luck by doing investigative steps that will eventually lead to the perp. This guy, Frank uh, or James, he apparently jumped on the, um, on the R train right after the shooting, as did many people trying to escape the shooter. They didn't realize that in fact the shooter had followed them onto the train, except he had changed his clothes and he had left the gun behind. And he got out at the next step, uh, the next stop, which was 22nd Street. And of course, this was in Brooklyn. From there, he basically wandered around, you know, and uh, at some point he was in Manhattan in the confines of the 9th Precinct where he was at a McDonald's and he actually called Crime Stoppers himself and reported to the police what he was wearing and where he was. And then he strolled up the street and several other people called uh, the police and they were able to apprehend him in the confines of the 9th Precinct. And from there, he was um, taken to um, federal custody. He's going to be charged federally, and the, the crime he's going to be charged with is a terrorist attack on a mass transit system. That's the first time I've heard that as a um, as a crime, but that is what he's going to be charged with. And apparently, uh, that charge uh, makes him eligible for a life sentence. You know, when you think of it, he goes into a subway system and shoots 10 people with an illegal firearm. That should get you life in itself, because I think you, you should have um, 10 charges of attempted murder. However, you never know in this city, with these district attorneys not wanting to prosecute anyone, what, in fact, they would have charged him with if they had been allowed. I'm happy it's going to the feds because this guy's going to go to prison. You know, you'll hear our district attorneys talk about, let's put him in a program. Let's send him to some violence interrupters. You know, I, I know I'm being sort of sarcastic, but I don't trust the district attorney in Brooklyn or Manhattan or the Bronx or Queens. Uh, the only one that might prosecute a case like this would be the Staten Island DA. The rest of them, uh, they're not, they don't like to prosecute people. And that brings us to, you know, some of the investigative steps they took in this, what went right, what went wrong. One of the things that absolutely went wrong, and if you see the, um, the MTA CEO, his name is Jano Lieber. He's a real slick guy who's always... Uh, criticizing the NYPD. And in fact, he, he appeared on several news stations uh, uh, yesterday morning uh, just declaring how innocent he was of those cameras malfunctioning or breaking down. In fact, we had a team in yesterday checking on them. Oh, how convenient. You know something? They said at any time, there was a report that any time the cameras in the subway, 33 to 35% of them are down. So maybe Jano Lieber... Make with your $400,000 a year salary, you need to have a team continuously performing maintenance on these cameras. Because this time you got away with it. I wouldn't let you get away with it, but you're going to get away with it because you're slick and you tried to get it. You're going on the news claiming your innocence, how you had nothing to do with this. You should be held accountable for this as you decry the NYPD whenever you perceive they're not putting enough police in the subway. You criticize them for that. I think you should be criticized for how the New York subways are. The homeless should be out of the subways. You didn't really get into that with the police, did you? The police had to take it when crime had become unbearable, bias attacks, murders, people being pushed on the tracks, robberies, knife point stabbings, everything on the subway, and all of a sudden you're paying attention to it? Fix those cameras, Jano Lieber, with your huge CEO salary. You know, it, it's great not to be a regular news reporter. I couldn't criticize this guy like this. He needs to get on it, get on the subway. 
You know, one of the things I also wanted to mention while we're, we're here, uh, do you guys remember this? Look at this. Look at the screen. Uh, Anti up. Punch that cop. NYPD out of MTA. Remember that during the height of the defund the police anarchists in this city? Yeah, let's listen to these people, you know, and who stood up for the police back then? The same politicians that are pretending to stand up for the police now were standing up for these people. And I, I find it disturbing. So, you know, not, I don't want to get totally negative with this, but look, mo moving forward, these type of attacks can happen. So let's make sure all the video cameras in the transit system work properly. You got that, Jano Lieber? Get on your job. Do your job. You get paid a lot of money. Make sure it works. All right, enough said. The investigation. Many people think when you arrest uh, Band, uh, Bando Joy Zep 7, that's a mouthful. Glad to be here. Such common sense talk from experts. Horrendous crime. Federals to try um, keep it out of the hands of these soft on crime DAs. Those cameras should never be down. I 100% uh, Bando Joe, Joy Zep 7. That's a, that's a, uh, Lisa Gallegos, preach. Yes, preach, brother, preach. Yeah, I am preaching. And I'm standing up for the NYPD that always takes it on the chin because the only governmental organization, probably across the country, that is held accountable, you guys want to guess who it is? Put it in the chat. Who do you think it is? The only governmental organization that is ever held accountable. Come on, guys. Put it in the chat. Who is it? Okay, I'm going to have to help you. I feel like a school teacher teaching you. The police, they're the only organization, government organization, that is ever held accountable. All these other organizations, nah, let's not hold them accountable. And look, the MTA is a big, swollen bureaucracy with a billions of dollars of a budget, yet they're never held accountable. You know, let's hold that guy accountable. You know, uh, uh, M22, also, I'll never forget about a year and a half ago, the New York City police did a press conference and looked completely defeated, saying the politicians defunded them by millions and made many crimes ticketable. M22, they weren't defunded by millions. They were defunded by $1 billion. They took $1 billion away from the NYPD. And guess what? You know who they gave them to? They gave some of that budget to? You know these idiots, the violence interrupters? that there's no proof that that works at all. There is no accountability to that. There is no academic statistics that they can show that this works, these violence interrupters who are former gangbangers. Some of them have no education and supposedly they, they're preventing violence and our politicians are pushing that. And, and there's no proof that it works, none. The NYPD can prove what they do works. By crime statistics, dropping crime statistics, the seven major crimes, that is how they're judged. You cannot judge that these violence interrupters are, are, are dropping violent crime and shootings. I want to put a little bit more of the, um, the press conference in regards to um, the investigation. A lot of people think when a shooter or a perpetrator or a crime, uh, a major crime perp, is arrested that the investigation is over. That is not true. I'm not going to say the investigation just starts, but it continues. And there's a lot of things that they have to know. Patricia Bell, I've been leery of going into the city. Used to go all uh, the time by myself. Patricia, thank you so much for the $10 Super Chat. Very much appreciated. I'm going to play a little bit of the press conference. And uh, this is Chief of Detectives, James Essig. Great guy. Uh, gave such great information. Uh, and we've been getting a lot of good information in the press conference from the NYPD, which we really, uh, we love to see. And we love to hear them talk and be forthright with the investigation. I, I think first and foremost, we were looking to get this guy off the street before he did any, any more carnage, brought any more carnage to the city. As to the investigation into the motive and to look and scour the social media, uh, that's still part of the ongoing investigation. But again, first and foremost, we wanted to take him off the street. The investigation is continuing into the motive, into his social media postings. Uh, Bloomberg. Said, Mr. James, uh, welcome to a first book conversation. What time was that? And what was he doing in between then? And, uh, that was 9.15 yesterday. 
So the incident occurs at 824. So he leaves, he exits the 25th Street Station House shortly after 824. The R train pulls in. We catch him next going into a park slope on 7th Avenue and 9th Street at uh, 915. And then we grab him today. But we had literally hundreds of detectives out scouring video throughout the crime scene and beyond. So this is 9 a.m.? Excuse me? 9 a.m.? Yes, that was him. Yeah, yesterday at 9.15. All right, I'm Mark. Sorry, folks, I pulled that one off because the uh, the audio is very low on this, and uh, I, I want you to be able to hear what they're saying, since what they're saying is um, it's so important in, in the investigation. You know, they had the, um, the FBI, the senior officer in charge uh, of the New York office, talking about how good the Joint Terrorist Task Force is. Uh, the Joint Terrorist Task Force, or FBI, and they call it joint because they work jointly with the NYPD. And the NYPD detectives that are members of the Joint Terrorist Task Force, they are deputized federal marshals also. So they have federal status. So they can go uh, to any state and they have law enforcement status. Um, and they, they have full arrest powers in, in every state uh, as a federal marshal. Um, uh, Gerda, Gerda Kotsky, uh, <laughs> Phil, at Phil Grimaldi, this man looks like he doesn't take any nonsense from anyone. That's only a good thing. Yeah, uh, Chief Essig's been around a long time. You know, he, he went up through the ranks. Um, there's also, you know, some other video. When we talk about this investigation, the, the video canvas is exhaustive. It's an exhaustive search. And... To pull video, you also have to go and find it and look at it and see if it's pertinent, see if it's useful. And detectives in this case had to do this all over the place. And uh, here's, here's some uh, video that they didn't have early on in the TBS investigation. has obtained surveillance video that appears to show suspect Frank James on his way to allegedly carrying out the Brooklyn subway shooting. The video shows James wearing a reflective vest, wheeling a cart down the street and carrying a bag. Police suspect James opened fire on the subway, shooting 10 people. The NYPD has also just released new images of James. There is a $50,000 reward in this case. So, folks, you could see uh, that was in, when they first gave the description. They said he was the perpetrator was a male black. They described exactly what he was wearing right there. But when you see him pulling uh, that little suitcase, and then he had a bag, and you could tell it was like a canvas bag. You could tell whatever was in that was very heavy. Possibly he had the gun in there. Uh, those smoke bombs, they could be quite heavy. But you could see that. And one of the things that I spoke about yesterday was um, there's no transit anti-crime. There's no anti-crime at all in this city. And maybe sharp, sharp anti-crime cops on the subway system may have confronted this guy early on. You got ID, dude? I mean, he's carrying this big bag. He has this mask on. He's got the helmet, you know. Are you a real MTA worker? Are you a transit authority? Who are you? You know, but because they don't have plain clothes, because this is a woke city that doesn't like plain clothes, because you might get an advantage on the bad guy. Uh, there's no more plain clothes. And I don't think the mayor understands plain clothes. I really don't. I don't think he's ever worked plain clothes in his life. And so it was so easy for them to get rid of, um, Rid of the plain clothes units and transit is one of those areas where plain clothes is just so so important. I mean, when you talk about what is down in those subway systems, it's like Rikers Island graduates from cell block B. Uh, they, a lot of them are just patrolling the subways like they own it, you know. And then when you see um, when you see pictures like this, you know, from the from the the you know a year ago, a year and a half ago. The defund the police crowd, which resulted in them defunding the NYPD for $1 billion. This makes you sick. It makes me sick. I don't know if you guys that are watching, if it makes you sick, but it certainly makes me sick 
you know, when a small group of anarchists can dictate dictate public policy, that's disturbing, you know. And guess what? You know why Adams and Governor Hochul are so concerned? They're not concerned with crime victims, trust me. What they're concerned with is the money coming into this city. And if people don't get back on that subway and don't come back in this city to work, guess what? Who's paying the taxes in this city? You know, and Phil Grimaldi and I discussed yesterday, they're not enforcing jumping the turnstile. You know why? They put up thousands of cameras to catch taxpaying citizens going over 25 miles an hour on the street. That'll pay for the turnstile jumpers. The other thing is, very soon, I think in 2023, congestion pricing. Another, let's nail the people from the suburbs coming into the city who already charged. Look, buy a car these days. To register a car for two years in New York State, the law is like $175, all right? That's $175 just to register your car, all right? How much gas taxes are you paying? Oh, my God, I said gas. That's another dirty thing to the green energy people. My God, they want you to pay $60,000 for an electric car. So they're going to congestion pricing. So if you have the nerve, the nerve to drive into Manhattan, you're going to get hit on your easy pass. You go below a certain street for another $10, $15, $20 to drive your car into Manhattan. Let's pay for those turnstile jumpers. That's one way to do it. Brilliant, right? Brilliant idea. Good idea. Let's let's charge the the real hard work in taxpayers. That's why everyone's fleeing New York. I'm going to play another little video here, and uh, and I'll stop ranting for a second. I'm Frank James. Eyewitness News reporter Naveen Dhaliwal joins us live now with how New Yorkers in the East Village saw something and they said something, and that led to James's arrest. Naveen. Yeah, Senator, they sure did. It was a key, uh, keen eyes of New Yorkers that helped uh, police along the way. Uh, they sent in tips and sightings of James over the past 30 hours. And it was someone here uh, in the East Village who spotted him today. And they say that they knew it was him and flagged down the cops. Just like that, Frank James was caught. Nobody would have thought to, you know, find him just walking randomly on the street. Sean, who works at East Village Wines, pulled out his cell phone. And at that moment, he had no idea the man being arrested was wanted by police for opening firing in a moving subway car in Brooklyn Tuesday morning. Right outside, man. I mean, when I saw it, I was shocked, you know. I was shocked to the marrow, like, what's going on? And I see the guy, he walking on the sidewalk like this. Zach Tahan, who was installing surveillance cameras on a business, initially saw James. He knew that face that had been circling on social media, and he went with his gut, flagging down police officers on the street on First Avenue near St. Mark's Place. I told him, guys, trust me, this guy, this is the guy. And I see the police walking from over there. I thought the police, this is the guy. He did that problem in Brooklyn. This guy, catch him, guys, catch him. There had been several tips coming into police since the shooting from vigilant New Yorkers, and it was this one in the East Village that was the big one. They cornered the guy over here, and I saw one person, I think they got the guy. Yeah. He looks like him. And then all of a sudden, another person confronted him. They got the guy. He got handcuffed. He was calm. They put him in a squad car with no violence at all. Giving those who live here some big sigh of relief. I'm glad they caught the guy, and I, play, I believe in the police department doing their job, because they really did a good job of it kept everything calm yeah kudos to all those who helped and did it safely again uh the suspect frank james so folks you know uh was so happy that he was apprehended he actually called uh in on himself he was at a mcdonald's up the block and uh which you know it sounds a little bit crazy. One of the things we uh, people have asked about, um, could he go for like an insanity defense? And one of the things that, that you notice about this case is that this was very well planned out. This was so premeditated, right, to renting the U-Haul in, in, Phil, in uh, Pennsylvania, driving it to New York, his whole outfit, uh, bringing the smoke bombs, the nine millimeter he brought with him and uh, with high capacity uh, magazines. So is someone who's crazy, do they plan something that well like that? I don't think he's going to get a chance. Uh, I don't think anyone would, especially the feds. 
federal government is prosecuting Mr. Frank R. James. So I don't think they're going to buy, uh, you know, any kind of like insanity uh, defense. Um, I love labs. Nothing should ever be the same after 9-11, too much life loss, and we can't afford to get slouchy or complacent. Regular checks should be happening to make sure those damn cameras work. I love labs. I 100% agree with you, and I called out the MTA chairman numerous times. He's very slick. He tried to get ahead of the criticism by going on all the talk shows yesterday and trying to clear himself. That's the kind of stand-up guy he is, you know. Uh, Margaret Hearn. Hi, Sergeant Bill and Police Off the Cuff community. You and Detective Phil do amazing coverage and analysis of this horrific terrorist attack. He was arrested by the NYP 9th Precinct three blocks from me. The Fighting Ninth, that's what they like to be called. Great precinct, great history, great cops, and they did a great job. Uh, just amazing. Uh, look, this whole thing unfolded, this horrendous attack in the subway, which was the biggest violent attack in probably in the history of New York City in the subway. And in less than 30 hours, the NYPD had arrested a perpetrator. And you know, when you when you hear about descriptions of perps, sometimes they're very, very accurate, and sometimes they're a little bit off. This was 50-50. We had the correct race. It was a male black. That was said early on. And uh, if you notice, a lot of the media will ignore that. They'll ignore the race of the person and why they do that. They're being politically correct again. It's important to name the race so that police and the public know who the police are looking for and other police can have an accurate description so that if they do stop someone that fits the description, they're stopping potentially the right person. But we've become so woke in society that you can't even get a description of a perpetrator because it may hurt someone's feelings. The other thing was they said he was five foot five and about 180 pounds. This guy was 180 pounds when he was three years old. I'd say he's probably pushing 300 and he looks like he's well over six feet tall. So, um, and his age, he's 62 years old. I think initially they would say it was a male in his 40s. And I could see why there would be confusion with that because he was wearing a mask. He had the, the, um, the gas mask and he had a mask over that. So a lot of it was covering his face. So um, Anthony Santoro, when I was a kid, I got caught by plain clothes writing my name on a train car. This is how saturated it was with law. What happened? Well, the last mayor who was mayor for eight years, uh, who completely destroyed this city in eight years, uh, Mayor de Blasio, um, he got rid of anti-crime units or the police commissioner Dermot Shea, I would think at Mayor de Blasio's urging, got rid of anti-crime. And all the woke politicians cheered that because, oh, their their feelings were that anti-crime was um, violating people's civil rights. Um, and you know something, if you talk to a lot of people, you even mention stop, question, and frisk, everyone gets like, oh my God, how do you think these neighborhood safety teams or getting guns off the street through stop, question, and frisk. Stop, question, and frisk is perfectly, perfectly legal. Uh, so um, Leslie Iannata Cronin, I'm worried since police uniforms were stolen in Massachusetts, I'm concerned about the Boston Marathon Monday. Leslie Iannata, I'm sure that the Boston Marathon is uh, well secured these days. And I think that... Um, you know, access control is one of the ways that you're able to secure a location by controlling the flow of people in and out and checking the identification. Don't allow, and I would think after the Boston Marathon, no one is allowed to bring a backpack into uh, the protected area in the Boston Marathon. No one should be allowed. As we know, the Boston Marathon, the, the Zarnayev brothers, one who's dead and one who's in... Um, who's in federal custody right now and facing the death penalty, um, they set off um, pressure cooker bombs. And uh, they, it did destruction and death and people lost limbs. Uh, I think three people were killed and many people were maimed from that bomb. And um, one of the Zarnayev brothers, I mix up their name, there was Zokar and Tamerlan. 
And I believe Tamerlan was the older brother, and he was killed in a shootout with the Springfield, Massachusetts, I believe, the police, who did an unbelievable job. In fact, we had a sergeant from the from the police. And if I said the wrong police agency, I apologize. It's been a while since I covered that case. But we had the sergeant on, on our show, and what a brilliant guy. I mean, them these guys banging it out with terrorists who had them outgunned. And uh, it was just an amazing thing, these guys. Cops across the nation are out there doing the right thing against tremendous odds. You know, most of the dangers that cops face these days aren't from perps. They're from politicians. That's disturbing, isn't it? People that are supposed to be on our side make the job so much more difficult, you know, so much more difficult. Uh, I hope I pronounce your name correctly. Eulalio Ramirez. Eulalio Ramirez, I think uh, I pronounced it correctly. He probably wasn't making with his unemployment or Social Security checks. He said, the hell with it. I'll go to jail and eat for free. I don't know if that was his mindset, but I'm sure he did not work because uh, he. it seemed like he walked with a limp. He was obese. He didn't seem like a very healthy guy. you know. Uh, Tara Ellis, you can't even bring a purse to Major League Baseball games here in Arizona. They're tightening up public security here. It's sort of a shame that you can't do that. Um, I know that when I went to a Jet game one time, I lost a a great umbrella, like a $25, $30 umbrella, because they wouldn't let me bring it in there. Even though it was pouring, they wouldn't let me bring my umbrella in. Of course, you go back to where you left it. It's nowhere to be found. Uh, 672E Galaxy, good afternoon, all. Um, folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD sergeant. Uh, if you're not a member of our YouTube channel, please go on our YouTube Hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up and ring that bell. And if you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and you can support us by your contributions. We also have a YouTube membership. Be a member of our YouTube family. We have five different levels, and you can, you see the folks with the green font in the chat? They're part of our YouTube family, and uh, there's not many of them here today. I'm, I'm looking for... Uh, some of our uh, green-fonted people. What happened to everyone? Where's all our members? There he is, Peter Pranzo. I'm glad Lieutenant Pete. Lieutenant Pete of Harlem Raiders fame, a famous 3-2 uh, in the middle of Harlem lieutenant back in the day and a, a Medal of Valor recipient, as well as a legendary street crime lieutenant, a unit that doesn't exist anymore. But Lieutenant Pete, he was actually there when I was there. I wasn't in his team. I was on the midnight team. Midnight and street crime was 9.30 at night to 6 in the morning, hours that uh, <laughs> just for the the elite unit to be out there at those times, you couldn't do anything else but be a cop and work in those hours. But uh, it was a great unit to be in. And Lieutenant Pete, as I said, was a lieutenant uh, in, in the great um, street crime uh, unit back then. And uh, he used to have those thick mutton, ch mutton chop uh, sideburns, you know, which it specifically says in the patrol guide, no mutton chops in uniform, but he was in plain clothes, so he got away with it. But great, great lieutenant, Lieutenant Peter Pranzo. Uh, what do we got here? Miss Demina, great, great name. Sergeant Bill, hey, from a very quiet Wells, thank goodness. Dave Lott, MTA, New York. Dave, you work for the MTA? Is that guy uh, John Olieber your boss? <laughs> The guy, the guy's sort of full of himself, you know. He's an attorney, you know. He's got that law degree. So he used to work for the World Trade Center before being appointed by Hochul as the head of the MTA. Um, Girl Friday, he had jobs as a car transporter at one point, also worked for Hertz in the past. I know nothing more. I, Girl Friday, I guarantee he doesn't work. He doesn't move around the way he does, living in temporary residences. I'm sure he didn't have to report to any job. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about the investigation. What else do they need to find out? Well, some of the things that they need to do for the prosecution is to connect the evidence recovered to, to the perpetrator. Guess what? I'll tell you one way to do it besides forensically. Show it to them. 
after Miranda, after he's been interviewed, when he when he's being interviewed, interrogated, if he waves Miranda, bring the evidence into him and ask him, is this yours? What better evidence is there if he says, yeah, that's mine. I bought these smoke uh, smoke grenades at such and such a location, such and such a state. Check it out. Connect the dots to that. Boom. Juries love to hear that stuff. Where'd you get that gun? They already know. The ATF checked that out. He bought that gun, I believe it was in 2011, from someone who had a federal firearms license in Ohio. So he bought the gun legally, but the gun was not transported legally. He had no right, no legal right to carry that gun in New York City or New York State or transport it from state to state. There, Right there is a federal crime also. Apparently, when they checked one of his residences also, there was evidence that he had a high, um, high-powered rifle, but however, they didn't find that. So they're still trying to connect some of the evidence. So again... Show him what was recovered at the scene. His credit card with his name on it. <laughs> Is this your credit card, Frank? Oh, yes. Where'd you find that? Uh, you recognize these keys to this U-Haul? Did you rent that? You did. They already know he rented it. The other thing is when you rent a vehicle, again, I'm talking about investigative steps. Doesn't Hertz have video at the counter where you go to pick up the car? Don't they have video where you exit the location, boom, the FBI, the NYPD, Joint Terrorist Task Force, a lot of work to connect the dots, but we don't want this guy to ever get out of prison, right? Connecting the dots of the evidence, right? The video evidence is so damning. It's so amazingly uh, powerful um, when people see that. You know, p- people talk about also DNA, DNA evidence. Could there be DNA on the firearm? Yes. On the trigger guard, on other parts of the firearm. Could there be DNA on uh, some of the other stuff, touch DNA on some of the other evidence that he touched? 100,000%. And they're going to connect the dots so that they build a super, super strong case against Mr. Frank R. James, you know, who uh, just indiscriminately shot 10 New Yorkers. Thank God. Right now, it seems there were five critical and uh, 10 total shot, five critical. And I hope all the people that were shot are recovering. They're getting better. You know, one thing, we're so numbed to to people getting shot these days. And one of the things that I know from being a NYPD sergeant uh, for 22 years out of my 27, I was a sergeant, anti-crime, six and a half years, citywide anti-crime, precinct anti-crime. And working in uh, the detective squad, 2-3 detective squad in El Barrio. There is a rose in Spanish Harlem. I started too high. <laughs> but that's Spanish Harlem, the 2-3. And uh, I wanted to shout out to the 2-3. I did a lot of years in the 2-3 squad, five years. And then completed my career in Manhattan North Homicide Squad. You learn a lot of stuff. Learn a lot of stuff about investigation. And believe it or not, I learned, believe it or not, I don't mind to humble myself like this. I learned so much from detectives. Detect- I didn't look at it like, oh, I'm the boss. I should tell you what to do. I learned so much about investigation from detectives. And later on in my career, because I worked with such great detectives, I actually taught at the police academy uh, at the criminal investigation course. I wasn't ever assigned to the police academy. They would pull me off the road whenever they had the criminal investigation uh course, and they would pull me in and I would teach my section, which I loved doing because not only was it great to teach a course to other fellow detectives, um, sergeants, lieutenants, captains from other police agencies from the NYPD, it was a chance to use my use police humor. Maybe that's where I got the inkling to try stand-up comedy, you know, and I, I always made my presentation, I thought, very interesting, but funny. <laughs> there were some funny parts to it, too. And I think anyone out there that ever took my course in CIC would say, that guy was funny, you know, which, you know, that's not my, uh... but I think when you teach, if you can make it interesting and engaging and using humor is one of the ways you do that. Uh... Eulalio Ramirez, you are a very smart man and you know that a lot of this law are lies and piss people off and they go off divided and conquer. Is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, I, I potentially, yes. 
M22, I want to be a detective when I was younger, but not a cop. You know, M22, you know how many people said that to me when I taught at college? I'd have people coming in and they would say, uh, I don't want to be a cop. I just want to be a detective. And I would just like laugh in their face and say, are you kidding me? I go, do you think they just give you a gold shield? You have to earn it. So you have to start out as a cop. Start out knowing how to investigate crimes on the street, knowing how to do paperwork, knowing how to talk to people, knowing tactics, knowing how to respond to robberies in progress, burglaries in progress, gun arrests, car stops. You do that for a certain amount of years, then perhaps you could go into an investigative tracked position and possibly become a detective. So, uh, yeah, no one wants to hand out traffic. No one wants to do the grunt work. Everyone just wants to be a detective, you know. I want to be a detective. Yeah, I do too, you know. I, I didn't want to do the grunt work either, but I, I think I paid my dues. Uh, Christian C. Block, <clears throat> what's up? Good to see you. Cavi Kavanaugh Glock 17 is a nine millimeter. Yes, there's also a Glock 19, which is a uh, which I have. I have a Glock 19. I also have the baby Glock. Um, uh, who else is in the chat? Marilyn Mineta. This is the problem. Not sure what you're referring to, Marilyn. I wasn't. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Andrea M. Talu. So, guys, as, as I said, the investigation is not over. It's still. Uh, they got to now build this case so that they have a strong case to present in federal court against this perpetrator, Frank R. James, when he does, in fact, come up for trial. Let's hope that he uh, confesses and makes always makes for a stronger case when the defendant uh, confesses. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's... Uh, one that's going to fight this that much because uh, it's, you know, it, it was strange that of what, what he did here, just strange. What, what was, what was his whole motive? That's what everyone always wants to hear a motive. What was his motive? Why? And, you know, a lot of people are saying hatred, a hate crime. And, you know, let me just play a little more of his little apprehension here by the ninth precinct. And you'll just see, terror charges. Police say he fired 33 shots into a crowded rush hour subway car, sending nearly 30 people to the hospital. Janae Norman is in Manhattan at the scene of the arrest. Good morning, Janae. Michael, good morning. This corner here of St. Mark's Place in First Avenue in East Village, this is where this all unfolded yesterday afternoon. And I want to show you about two blocks down. You can see the McDonald's where police say Frank James told them he would be waiting for them. And the first images we see of him in handcuffs happening right in front of these storefronts in this busy neighborhood where he seemed to be hiding in plain sight. My fellow New Yorkers, we got him. We got him. Why those people? Why that station, Frank? This morning, the man police say is responsible for that devastating attack on the New York City subway is waking up behind bars. 62-year-old Frank James, taken into custody Wednesday by a swarm of NYPD officers in the city's East Village neighborhood. Now, ABC News has learned James himself called police, telling them where he was and describing what he was wearing, saying he would be in a McDonald's charging his phone when they arrived. With help from Good Samaritans, he was spotted just a few blocks away. He was just walking like normal, like like he didn't do anything before, like something, like normal person. Police arriving to that area, slowly surrounding the man suspected of shooting 10 people and injuring dozens more Tuesday morning, now facing terror-related charges. According to the federal complaint, the 62-year-old rented a U-Haul on April 11th at 2.30 p.m. in Philadelphia. Surveillance video capturing that van crossing the Verrazano Bridge into Brooklyn at approximately 4.11 Tuesday morning. Two hours later, at 6.12 a.m., authorities say surveillance video captured James on a Brooklyn street corner wearing construction clothing. That orange vest described by witnesses along with a backpack and rolling bag. He heads into a nearby subway station to board a Manhattan-bound end train. Then, at approximately 8.26 a.m., while on board the train, James allegedly releases a gas canister and opens fire. Subway riders spilling onto the platform, some performing life-saving measures. 
many pile onto an R train just across the platform, including Kenneth Foot Smith, speaking exclusively to our Robin Roberts. Once he told us to go on the R train, everyone immediately piled on, and I think it was about maybe 150 people on that platform. And my first thought when we got on that train, though, was, is the shooter still with us? And apparently he was. The complaint says James did enter the R train. Images capturing him leaving one stop later at 25th Street. The citywide manhunt lasting 29 hours until 1.42 p.m. Wednesday. Oh my God, y'all, they caught him. 21-year-old Zach DeHaan was working in a local store checking surveillance cameras when he saw James and immediately flagged police. I see the police walking from over there. I caught the police. This is the guy. Catch him, guy. Catch him. And he got him. Thank God we got him. And, you know, there's a lot of attention now on subway safety and the surveillance cameras that we've reported didn't work in some stations. Well, now we've learned that the MTA found out on Sunday that cameras in three stations weren't working properly. They tell us those cameras didn't malfunction, weren't uh, sabotaged, and they just weren't working properly, yet they weren't fixed by the time Tuesday's morning commute turned to chaos. Robin. Thank you, Janae. You know, one of the things that's amazing, uh, I would think more amazing to people that aren't in policing is like, look at all of the video. They hear they got him coming into New York from Pennsylvania in a U-Haul van, and they got the video. They also have, you know, these things called license plate readers that are all over the place. And that's for our safety. That's to protect us. And then, of course, they have the video of him coming out of the subway. He had got, been on the, the shootings occurred on an end train. Across the platform was an R train, and many people escaped on the R train to get the hell out of that station being filled with smoke, including the shooter, Frank R. James. However, he left behind the gun, the three magazines, and he left behind the, the smoke bombs and some others, his credit card, the keys to the U-Haul. So he did get on the, the R train also and then took it to, for one stop, and here there they have the video of him leaving the subway. Amazing. Amazing. And look how quickly they get it. And this would have been made easier if the MTA cameras were working. I'll repeat that again. And maybe Jano Lieber should make sure that they don't malfunction and, and don't go on morning TV trying to cover your ass saying that, oh, you are aware of it. No, I don't think so. Jano Lieber, do your job, all right? And stop calling out the NYPD when you should be called out for not doing your job. Make sure those cameras work, General Lieber, CEO of MTA. You know, just pathetic. And then the guy goes out there. Folks, Joe Murray, attorney at law, jmurray-law.com. He's one of the biggest supporters of Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories podcast. He's an outstanding attorney. He's a retired member of the service, an NYPD police officer that did 15 years, and then became an attorney. Great advocate, great criminal attorney. He's also a boxer. He was a heavyweight boxer on the PBA boxing team. So don't mess with Joe Murray. Joe Murray, call him 718-514-3855. You can email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. His website is jmurray-law.com. Great friend of the show, outstanding attorney. And again, another attorney we have, John Beatty Law, www.com jbdlaw.com. John Beatty is a renowned personal injury attorney. He also retired as a decorated NYPD sergeant. John comes from a proud NYPD and FDNY family. He was an active sergeant in Brooklyn North, and he supervised in the legal bureau. John is a proud member of the Honor Legion and the Blue Knights. John Beatty litigates across the country for seriously injured victims and has helped recover over $200 million for grieving families. Call John now for a free consultation. John Beatty, 917-797-9520. John Beatty Law, www.jbeattylaw.com. I love all these cops, man, that, that they did an amazing job on the police department and then got their law degrees. How amazing is that? that Guys got their law degrees while they were on the job. Just think of the sacrifice that is to go to school at night or during the day and, and then go to work either before or after you go to school. Uh, just tremendous, you know. 
a Brad, oh, he created the conditions that existed that allowed him to do that to those people on the train. That's what the evidence shows. Um, you know, folks, I think that as police and as um, politicians, we need to protect the public. And that's where I think uh, the rubber hits the road. We need to use every, uh, every tool at our disposal to protect the public. And the politicians and the government are not willing to do that right now. And I was so happy the other day when the police commissioner, Kishan Sewell, who I happen to love, I think she's fantastic, she called out the victims. We have to protect New Yorkers, the victims. That's the first time I've heard any government official say that. You'll never hear politicians say that. They care about the perps. You know, Hochul, she cares more about perps than she does. They, they couldn't, that whole bail reform thing, and I'm preaching again because I feel passionate about this, she had a chance to change that. She didn't do it, you know, because she's going to be running for governor in November, and her base, they like perps. They like bail reform, you know, and that's what she's more concerned with, bail reform, than she is with protecting the public. And I find that rather disturbing, that uh, these folks care more about the perpetrators of crime than they do about the victims of crime. Play a little bit more here from Fox for disorderly conduct and petty larceny. Certainly a very long rap sheet there. For now, that's the very latest live here at the federal courthouse in Brooklyn. Briella Tomasetti, Good Day New York. Reagan, we'll send it back inside to you. All right, thank you, Briella. Okay. Well, that was just that was just talking about uh, Frank Lloyd James. I started a little late about his uh, criminal history. I believe he was arrested. He was arrested nine times, uh, not for um, very serious crimes, but nine times should sort of preclude you from getting a gun permit. Uh, he didn't have a gun permit. He bought a gun allegedly, legally, in Ohio in 2011. That was according to the ATF. So again, now, you know, many, many of you folks, many of you guys listening to the show, you're thinking that, oh, uh, we got him. The investigation's over. No, the best investigation still continues because we want to make sure that, um, that Frank or James goes to prison forever the rest of his life. You know, I don't think he's going to live too long anyway. He doesn't seem like a very healthy individual. Uh, and it's a shame that someone would spend their twilight years of their life in a, in a prison cell, but that's, that's what he's, uh, he's facing. You know, it's, uh, it, it's just incredibly M 22. I strongly believe an armed society is a polite society. If this guy thought people on the subway was armed, would he have done this? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Marilyn Mineta, to all the police, thank you. In this country, I'm praying for the blue. They take risks every day to keep us safe. That's for sure. Uh, Jerry Hill, well said, M22. So, um, you know, guys, one of the things is, I mean, the, the policing has changed in this city, and it's gotten, um, they've taken away a lot of the tools that the police need to do their job. And to make the transit system safe, safer, I'm not going to say safe because I don't know, if, but safer, they really need a plain clothes contingent to work these subways. They have to have these these perps underground fear, fear that the person they may pull a knife on could be a cop. They have to fear that. Right now, there's no fear. Right now, you know, there is no fear whatsoever, and that's why. The perpetrators in this city have the advantage over the police. Uh, you know, there's pictures up on the screen of Mr. Frank or James. Uh, the one all the way to the right is him exiting the subway. You see, he changed his clothes, right? He's smart enough to do that, right? Premeditated. He changed his clothes. He left all of his, uh, the vest and the, the other stuff that he had on. He left that behind, and he's wearing all dark clothing as he exits the subway, one stop, uh, taking the R train. So uh, there he is, and there's arrest, getting arrested on the street by officers from the 9th Precinct. Thank you, 9th Precinct. Kudos to the 9th Precinct. The Fighting 9th, you guys are great. Uh, always great precinct. The busy precincts always have the best cops. Uh, NYPD, right? 
one of the things we always used to say, and it's true to this day, when others run away from danger, the police run toward it, you know? And uh, that's so true. It was true on 9-11. It's, a true, it's true every, every day of the week. Uh, Abdullah, Abdullah, <laughs> I'm sorry, Ahmed. I hope I pronounced that correct. The police were able to keep the public safe from dangerous people like James. So all the praise. Thank you, Abdullah. Abdullahi. I think I said it right the second time. Thank you so much. That's so very true. Um, uh, Brad R., buying a gun, part of the condition. Traveling with a gun, part of the condition. Buying shells, part of the condition. Shells should have serial numbers on them. There are so many conditions we could work. Brad, you know, a shell that's fired from a spent shell, fired from a semi-automatic, has a marking on it that is uh, identifies it as coming from a very specific firearm. And also another identifier on the shell is the um, impression left on the fire on the um, by the firing pin on on the uh, spent shell. So all those things can be read by uh, technology. And um, uh, what do we got here? William Jefferson. Yeah, yeah, if he, but if he hadn't had a driver's license, he can't travel anywhere in no time soon. He's not going anywhere. He's going to prison. Uh, David Kahn, NYPD, has always been the best and always will be. Thank you so much. That's so true. Uh, William Jefferson, driving is a privilege, not a right. That's for sure. People think it's a right. It's not. It's a privilege, and you violate that privilege. You lose your license, you know. So, guys, just, um, again, I'm, here I am. I'm talking forever. I'm coming up on an hour. I didn't intend to. To do that long but i just want to say one thing going forward where do we go now what are we doing now how are we going to keep this city safe crime is up in all seven major crimes it's not going down anytime soon because politicians aren't ready to take the handcuffs off the police they got to let the police do their job that means we need a plain clothes contingent we need anti-crime out up on the street especially in the most violent neighborhoods and the most violent neighborhoods, the people that live there are begging for anti-crime, all right? These uh, neighborhood safety units, they don't cut it, you know, and I'm not putting down the guys that are in those units. They mean well, but you need to be in plain clothes to have that element of surprise to spring up on the criminal when he doesn't know you're around, and that's how you get guns off the street, all right? The other thing is, and I've said it again numerous times, we need to have a plain clothes unit in the subway. Transit anti-crime during my day was legendary. They were fantastic. They did a great job. And you need the mopes underneath the, 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 the city to fear the police, to fear that the person they're sticking a gun at is, is a cop, to fear that the person they're going to try to rob might be a cop. And there could be other cops on the subway car. you got to take that element away from the perp and give the advantage the police so guys i want to thank everyone for coming by today i just uh, had to sort of do an update on this uh, lieutenant peter pranzo was saying um we need mandatory sentences you know lieutenant pete you're right there has to be teeth in the law right so when you break the law there has to be punishment if there's no punishment people are just going to do crimes with impunity and one of the best things that happened was there was kickback when Alvin Bragg was elected Manhattan District Attorney. He tried to make a robbery, first degree with a firearm, one that you could be uh, not prosecuted for, as long as you didn't shoot anyone. And the public went nuts, and he was made to retract that. Even the governor, as weak as she is on crime, she saw that was, was going to be a political disaster. So she made him retract his little, he wrote some like uh, memo to his employees when he first came on, and I think he had to pull a lot of it back. Uh, so Bob Olson, we don't know what the motive was. There was a lot of hatred. This man, Frank R. James, had a lot of hatred for a lot of different people. That's They'll figure it out. They're interviewing him. I'm sure they did an interview yesterday when he was in custody. And we won't know what he said uh, until um, the police uh, release it. So again, folks, thank you so much for tuning in today. This is um, Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. And uh, again, have a safe day, and we'll see you soon. One episode.
know 